0: Good morning, and we do welcome you back to Alger Assembly of God. We welcome you back to our series entitled The Questions of Pentecost. So, a couple of weeks ago, it was Pentecost Sunday, and uh, we began this series looking at what are a handful of some of the common questions when it comes to Pentecost, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, when it comes to the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so, we began by looking at some of the what questions. First of all, what is Pentecost? What do we mean when we're talking about Pentecost Sunday? What is it? What is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? And so we we looked through the word of God and and tried to answer some of those what questions. Last week we were answering some of the why questions. Most specifically, why should we seek after the baptism in the Holy Spirit? What's the purpose? Why, why is this something that I, as a Christian, ought to seek or desire or uh, seek to have in, as a part of my life? And so we, we certainly looked at the Word of God and saw that it was power to be a witness, power to share about God, power to tell about the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, next week, as we look to conclude this series, we're going to be answering the now what question. In other words, after spending some time on the Holy Spirit, after spending some time encouraging you uh, to seek the Lord, uh, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, maybe for the first time, uh, maybe uh, to seek a refilling, maybe just to, to seek and desire more of God in your life, after this emphasis on the series, well, now what? What is there for me in my life with God after this? So that's next week. This morning we come to some of the, uh, well, a pretty practical question that many people seek and that many people ask about, and it's, how? We hear about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and maybe for some, if you've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, or if you've not had uh, maybe uh, an emphasis in an Assemblies of God Church or a teaching and preaching about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, you say, okay, what is it? Well, we, we've taken a look at some of those principles why should i seek it well we we've looked at what god's word has to say about that purpose all right so it's biblical it's of god it's it's for me it's it's this enablement of power that i can share and witness and and be a blessing to others and and share about the good news of jesus christ Well, how do i receive How am I able to experience this incredible gift, the baptism in the Holy Spirit? So that's the the direction that we're going to be going this morning is looking to answer the how. Now, before we get there, let me just say this. This is not a money-back guarantee message. In other words, this is not, if you do these principles, we guarantee you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit in five seconds or less. This is not a late-night infomercial. This is biblical handling, looking at God's Word. In other words, what are some principles from God's Word that would do good for us to follow, that would put ourselves in a position where we would be able to experience the baptism in the Holy Spirit? So again, this is not the automatic thing because we've looked at the fact that this is a gift, a gift of the Father, able to receive that. But these are great principles, very simple biblical principles that would do well for us to follow. So in just a moment before we get there, let me share with you a, a few common misconceptions when it comes to the baptism in the Holy Spirit or receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. These might be some things that maybe you've thought about These might be some things that you've heard about or questions that come up. We're maybe not able to answer all of those, but real quickly, let's hit a few of them, a few misconceptions. First of all, one misconception is that many people will passively wait on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you right now, you just got a little confused because you thought, I thought waiting on God was good. Yes, yes. Waiting on God is excellent. And we, we talk about that and we preach about that and we teach about that, you know, waiting and spending time with God. But when it comes to seeking the baptism in the Holy Spirit, sometimes the perception is I'm just kind of waiting around. As in, I'm just going to go about my average daily life. And if God wants to baptize me in the Holy Spirit, well, he knows where I'm at, he knows my address. He knows I'm right here at Alder Assembly of God today. He he knows where my home is. He knows where my school is. He knows where my job is. He knows everything about me. So if he wants to baptize me, if he wants to fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit, go right ahead. In other words, they're just kind of waiting for it to happen to them, to just kind of fall from heaven. And yes, the power of God is able to minister to hearts and lives, But sometimes people are just passively waiting rather than seeking after God. Here's a second misconception. The belief or people believing that God is going to overpower them. Now, as well, understand that God is powerful. There's the the biblical term, more of the theological term we would call omnipotent. God is all-powerful. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is a powerful event that takes place in the life of a believer. But God is not going to overpower you. God's not going to come and just wrestle you to the ground, put your arms behind your back until you cry, I'll go, and then force the Holy Spirit upon you. It's powerful, but he's not going to overpower. So understand that sometimes the, the thought or the perception when it comes to being baptized in the Holy Spirit, uh, particularly for some who have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, the thought is, okay, uh, I know they have Pentecost and, and they spoke in these tongues, these other languages that they don't know. And so I'm not quite sure about that part. They think God's just going to come kind of overpower them like a robot, or like a, like a puppet, like a marionette, and just pull the strings and control you, and then you have no control of your body, and all of a sudden you just, you just start doing this, this speaking in tongues, this other language. Again, it is a powerful event that takes place, and God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will equip and empower and give the words to speak, but God's going to use you. God's going to use your voice and your lips. He's not going to force himself upon you. He's not going to make you do something that you don't desire or want to receive. Here's a third misconception that happens with some people. Trying to earn it from God. Trying to earn it from God. See, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, it's a gift to receive... It's not a reward to be earned. It's very similar to the gift of salvation. We can't earn our salvation. It's by grace through faith. Ephesians says, it's not of ourselves, lest anyone would be able to boast about it. So, in salvation, we can't do enough good things to earn salvation. I can't help enough people to qualify and earn enough credits for salvation. I can't attend church for so many weeks in a row and that just qualifies me to receive salvation. There's not enough good things that I can do to earn my way to heaven, to earn this gift called salvation. The same thing when it comes to the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the, the thought or the mentality is, okay, th- this is a gift, so how can I earn it? How can I, how can I please God? Well, well, maybe if I do this, maybe if I do that, maybe if I'm really, really nice, God's going to baptize me in the Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe if I show up early to church, sit in the front row, apparently nobody's trying that today. But whatever it is, sometimes we think the more things we do, I can earn my way. And then God, because of this credit that I've built up, because of all of these good things I've built up, I'm able then to call upon God. And because I did these things, God's then going to baptize and fill us with the Holy Spirit. We can't earn it. It is a gift to receive. Misconception number four is this. Some individuals focus more on tongues than on God. In other words, sometimes we talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and we talk about Pentecost and seeking God, and we know as we've gone through that the baptism in the Holy Spirit, there is this initial physical evidence. In other words, the very first observable evidence that that indicates we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit is somebody speaking in tongues, somebody speaking in this other language, this biblical language. And so people begin to focus on that sign. I just want that. And again, it's almost as if people want to check the box on a spiritual resume to say, I got that. I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I did the tongue-talking thing, so I'm good. But we're getting a little bit backwards. It's not seeking tongues. The goal is that we seek more of God. The goal is that we desire this gift of the Holy Spirit that He desires to bless and to pour out. And as we seek God, as we seek that gift, that first observable evidence, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, will then be to speak in another language, to speak in tongues. So let's let's not get that backwards And make sure that instead we are seeking after God and seeking after His gift. Finally this morning, I'm sure there's others, probably some others that maybe have come into your minds and and your spiritual processes that you've grown through your life or maybe some that you've got now. But here's a final misconception. Misconception number five is this, thinking that the process is difficult. Now, the process is not difficult. It's just not automatic. And for many of you who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you might have that kind of an evidence or that kind of a testimony. With some people, maybe they hear about the baptism in the Holy Spirit or there's an altar opportunity and people would come forward and that very first time they come forward and they pray, they're baptized in the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues. But maybe there's other individuals who have come forward multiple times or sought God on their own multiple times at home or in altar times in church services and in special settings and special services. And because it hasn't happened yet, because they've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit yet, the thought is this is a hard, difficult process. Again, we can't earn it. So it's not hard in, in the fact that, well, You just haven't done enough things. You haven't earned up enough credits. It it has nothing to do with that. The process is simple because it's a gift to receive from God. It's just a matter of receiving from God. So what we're going to look at, the balance of our time, we're going to look at this process. Again, some biblical thoughts, biblical uh, scriptures and principles. What would be some good things for you and I to put into practice in order to then be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So certainly it's a, a simple uh, to understand and comprehend and try to live out principles to follow. It requires that childlike faith. So let's jump into a handful of these. How do we receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Here's a first common principle for us. It starts with repentance. We've got to repent. Repent. See, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, as we've looked at in these last couple of weeks, it is for the Christian. So this is not just anyone and everyone to go seeking God. This is first be a Christian. And the baptism in the Holy Spirit, it is a gift for the Christian, for the believer. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, this is following the day of Pentecost in the message was preached and said this repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the holy spirit what we've looked at a couple of times in these last couple of messages is the fact that the baptism in the holy spirit it's a separate and distinct work of the holy spirit in our lives It's not as if we don't have the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit enters at salvation, but this is a separate and a distinct work of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 19, the men of Ephesus. When Paul came, he said, hey, have you received the Holy Spirit since you've believed? They said, well, no, we've we've accepted this, this baptism of repentance of John. We've repented. We don't even know that there's this thing called the Holy Spirit. So they had repented, and as he explained and talked and shared and preached, he he prayed, he laid his hands upon them, and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was a separate work, a distinct work, and it followed salvation. So for you and I this morning, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, if you've not Asked Him to cleanse and to forgive and to wash away your sins. That would be the very first place to start is to surrender and submit your life to Him. If you're in this place and, and, boy, you're not exactly sure where you are. Maybe you gave your life to Christ a while ago, but you've not been living that way. It would be a great opportunity today. would be a, a great time to reaffirm, recommit, reconnect your life to God, and make sure that you are cleansed, freed, and forgiven. Repent. In this verse, it shows that baptism as well is something that follows salvation. So we encourage that if you are a Christian, we want to encourage you to follow Jesus in water baptism, I want to encourage you to to follow after Jesus Christ then and seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then the instruction there, at the end of verse 38, he says, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's positive that God is desiring to bless and to pour out this spirit, this gift of the Holy Spirit into our hearts and into our lives. So the first principle is we've got to make sure that we are clean, that we have repented, and that God is first in our lives. There's a second principle for us. They're all one-word principles. Not only must we repent and be right with God, but secondly, we must have desire. Desire. John chapter 7, verse 37, as well as verse 39, this is Jesus speaking. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood, he said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. In the verse 39, he clarifies, he says, By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So he's talking about the Holy Spirit, and he's saying, you've got to have this hunger and thirst. Now, just, it's fair admission. When it's church time, and you look at your clock, and it's not quite noon yet, and then the preacher says, hunger and thirst. I know where your stomachs are going. You're thinking lunch You know, you got something at home or you're hoping you're going out to eat and uh, you're making plans already. Jesus isn't talking about lunch. He's not talking about pizza and Mountain Dew. He's not talking about brownies. He's saying hunger and thirst. In other words, is there this inner desire that really, really wants this gift of the Holy Spirit? How many of you because of the time or because of the day or whatever, you have gone a significant amount of time without food or without drink, and you were just so parched and thirsty? Or you were just, you know, absolutely set on needing and desiring to eat some food? I mean, you would have eaten some old, crusty muffins or, or crackers. I mean, you, you'd have just found anything and just gobble them up, Right? you know what that feeling was like? You gotta remember that, right? Imagine that, but twisted into more of a spiritual hunger and a spiritual thirst. As hungry and thirsty as you were for some actual, literal, physical, eat and drink kind of food, you had that kind of passion. You had that kind of desire for God. Sometimes what we're kind of casual in our, in our attitude towards the things of God. Sometimes that's how we feel about food. Eh, I'm not really hungry. Don't really need to eat anything right now. I'm good. Cupcake? No thanks. I'm all right. We have this almost casual attitude. Where we're just not hungry. We're just not thirsty. We don't really need anything like that. And if we're not careful, sometimes that happens in our walk with God. And so the the principle here of desire is to say, will we have that that hunger, that thirst, that earnest desire to sincerely seek after God? Do you desire a a closer walk with God? Hopefully able to learn and read and study and grow day by day by day? Or is it just kind of a, a casual once a week Sunday experience? Hopefully there's that Hunger, thirst, and the desire to grow in God. Desire more of Him, for He desires to give and bestow that gift upon you. So we repent. We have great desire. Here's a third one word principle ask. Ask. Jesus says this, Luke chapter 11, verses 9 and following, familiar passage to many. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So the encouragement is not just that we are clean and forgiven and a Christian. That's certainly where it starts. But moving beyond that to have a desire to grow in God and receive this gift. So it's more than just being the Christian and having a desire. We're moving to that next principle where he says, go ahead and ask for this gift. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And then Jesus puts it this way, verse 11. Which of you fathers, Father's Day is coming up here in just a couple weeks, so uh, we got a couple of gift ideas for you to give your children. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Some of you might like the gift of a snake. I see a handful of you that, you know, your face just lit up in, in, in a different kind of way. Yes, I want a snake. Most people would say no. Or verse 12, or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Now, the rhetorical question Jesus is asking, he's saying, that's probably not going to happen. If your child asks you for something good, you're going to give them something good, not a snake and not a scorpion. So then Jesus ties it all together in verse 13. If you then, though you are evil, In other words, we're imperfect people. Anybody perfect in here, raise your hand. If you did, then you just lied. Then you'd be imperfect, so put your hand down. We're imperfect people. So, though we, even though we're imperfect and and sinful people, if we know how to give some good gifts to our kids. I wouldn't think about giving a scorpion or a snake to Autumn or Brooklyn. I would want to bless them with good things. If me, as an imperfect individual, knows how to bless my kids with some good gifts, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who say that word, ask Him? He says, you, look around. Look at the people on the opposite side of the sanctuary. Just take a good look. Don't stare, but take a good look. If those people on the opposite side of the sanctuary can know how to give something good to their child, how much more is God desiring to bless and to give this gift of the Holy Spirit to you? I've heard someone put it this way, that God desires to give to you more than you desire to receive it. Okay, let's put it like this. How many of you have had a gift that you just could not wait to give? You got a, it was a birthday gift. It was a Christmas gift. It was an anniversary gift. Whatever it was, you just could not wait to give it, right? Because it was awesome. It is the best gift ever. So good, you don't know what you're going to do next year. You ever had one of those gifts? If, if that's the desire of you to give again, this gift, good gift as it might be, how much more would God desire to give and bless this gift to us? In fact, James chapter 4, verse 2 says this, you have not because you ask not. So it is the gift. Jesus was talking about it. He was instructing his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the gift It's both the gift of the Father, the promise of the Father. He desires to bless with this gift. He's not withholding. He's not just dangling it in front of us and teasing us with it. Perhaps He's just patiently waiting that we would ask. God, you've, You've promised us in Your Word about this gift. Would You baptize me? Would You fill me to the full and to the overflowing the Holy Spirit. Let's be found faithful to ask and to continue asking and seeking God. So biblical principles, we repent of our sins, we get clean with God, follow it up with desire and and desiring to seek after God, and follow that up with asking, asking that He would give this gift. Here's a fourth principle for us believe. Believe that He will give the gift He has promised. John chapter 7, verses 38 and 39. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And then John is clarifying, because that was Jesus speaking. Verse 39, he clarified, by this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. For a gift to, to truly be given, someone's got to give it, but doesn't someone need to receive it? Uh, imagine, this is going to be a big, big stretch of the imagination. I know from looking at you imagine it's birthday, imagine it's Christmas, and there is just this incredible looking present underneath the Christmas tree, or this incredible present, you know, on the the kitchen table or dining room table, wherever you you gather for a, a special birthday greeting, and the tag has got your name on it. I mean, it is gigantic. It looks like it is probably the finest and fanciest and sharpest wrapping paper or bow or bag you have ever seen. You just know that in that bag or box or present is the best gift you have ever received. Can you imagine seeing that? It's got your name on it. It came from your parents or your grandparents or your best friend, and you see your name on the tag, and then you walk away and say, eh, you can give that to someone else looking at your faces. I know you would not do that, right? But sometimes that's almost the approach that we have with God. He has got this incredible Gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, but you will receive power to be my witnesses. Power to be a witness. There's this incredible gift. And then for many times, and many people would say, okay, boy, that's a great gift. Let somebody else have that. And I believe that he's encouraging us to ask, but to believe. Believing that God has promised that gift. Believing that that gift is for us. Believing that that is a good gift of the Father. Whoever believes in me. And verse 39, those who believed were to receive. We can put our trust in God. When God promises something, we can take it to the bank. When you and I promise something, it's give or take. There are some people, again, you know you can trust them, but even those people, they're maybe not 100% faithful. I'm sure they've messed up once or twice. Unfortunately, we have. But God has found faithful. Every promise that He has made, He has followed through on. So when He promises the gift of the Holy Spirit, we can trust, we can believe that He will do and give what he has promised. Now, it is that bold step of faith to receive from Him. Because you'll notice here at the platform, here at the altar area, uh, there's, there's no boxes, there's no gift bags. And yet, we know that God is desiring to give and to bless with this incredible gift of the Holy Spirit. But if Maybe you were to sit there in your pew and in a few minutes, in a few moments when we give you opportunity to come forward. If you kind of sit and maybe cross your arms and say, yeah, I don't really think that's for me. I don't trust him. I don't believe in him. Well, then pretty much you won't receive that gift. So it starts with repenting, making sure we're right with God. We continue with desire that we're wanting Seeking after God. We follow it up then with asking that we come to God. We can praise, we can worship, we can ask that He would bless and give this gift. We believe that He is who He says He is, He'll do what He has promised to do, and He will give this gift of the Holy Spirit. Here's number five yield. Yield. Romans chapter 6, verse 13. It says, neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but yield yourselves unto God. Other versions, other translations might render that word yield like this. Give yourself or present yourself or offer yourselves completely to God. In the message, which is more of a, a modern paraphrase, it would put it this way, throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full-time into God's way of doing things. We are yielding, surrendering, and submitting to God. Yielding sometimes can be a challenge, right? Right? Now, we, we most often maybe think about yield when it comes to highways or it comes to roads. You're, you're driving in a car and you're on the uh, on-ramp to get onto a highway, and it says yield. Now, sometimes we don't think that that applies to us. Anybody drive that way? Anybody live in a house with someone who drives that way? Don't raise your hand and point. But sometimes we're on the on-ramp to get on the highway, and we feel like whatever we're driving, we're on the road doesn't matter that there's a big 18-wheel semi-truck that's pulling up alongside of us and the yield sign that's right there on the highway. Yield means to submit to, surrender to, someone in this traffic that's next to you, bigger, stronger, faster, has already been traveling on the path that you're wanting to go. We've got to yield, to surrender, to submit to present and offer ourselves wholeheartedly to God. That can be a struggle because we can be kind of domineering at times. Not, not you, I'm, yeah. It's the people in those, that other church. The church down the road, the church in the other city, right? Nobody in here is domineering. Nobody in here just has to have their own way. You're smiling. You're sneaking some glances around. Don't you be thinking about that person now. We've got to surrender and submit and yield to God. It's the act of the will. It's, it's yielding ourselves, yielding our bodies to the Lord. I'm going to need some help here. Let me see. Austin, can I have your help up here, bud? Can you, can you join me up front? He's like, what in the world is this guy going to do? It's okay to think that way. Can you help me out? Okay. All right. So I want you to stand right here. You're, you're going you're gonna to turn to this side. You're going to face that way. Okay. So I'm going to, to demonstrate something now. Just a little bit earlier, we were talking about repentance, and, and in Acts 2, he said, repent and be baptized, and how water baptism was something that follows salvation, right? And, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that follows salvation. So what I'm going to do, I know, you know our water baptistry is back here. Uh, there's no water in it, so you know, we're not going to have that as an actual object lesson or illustration, but we're just going to kind of act or, or, you know, act out the case of me baptizing you as if we were in water. Is that okay? You're not sure, but you're saying yes. Okay, so I need you to, need you to kind of hold your hands up together, kind of um, fold your hands. Yep. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put one hand here. I'm going to put one hand behind you, and on the count of three, um, I'm going to baptize you in water. Are you ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Thank you, Austin. Now, At the very first moment, did you see it? The very first moment, I went to go back, and here's what you did. There was this, I'm not sure if I should. I'm not sure if I could. I'm not sure if he can. Boy, he doesn't look like he's got enough muscles there to help me out. I don't know what was going through your mind. But initially, you were just kind of, and then you kind of let go. And then you did what? Begins with Y, ends with D. Has an I-E-L in the middle. (laughs) Look on the screen. Yielded. Oh, awesome. (laughs) Then you yielded. Unfortunately, I think many times that describes us. You see, many people have repented of their sins, and they're Christians. And then there's this desire you know, because of what they've heard or taught or preached or, or read in the Bible about this gift. So they have a desire, and they ask God, and they believe that He can do it. Maybe they'll, they'll come forward for prayer in a church service, or maybe they'll earnestly seek God at home, which, by the way, newsflash. This is not the only place to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, it's a great place because it's it's filled with other Christians who have been baptized, who can encourage and pray, and and it's a great atmosphere of of spiritual worship. But if you come forward in just a little bit and you're not baptized immediately in this service today, God can still baptize you in the Holy Spirit at home in some other place. But unfortunately, what happens many times is, Maybe they'll, maybe they'll come forward to an altar or a special service or a camp meeting or, you know, family camp, whatever the, the special service is, or even at home, and they'll, they'll pray and, and begin to seek God, but they'll kind of tense up, kind of like the way you did at the very beginning. And they're not sure this whole yielding to God, surrendering to God, submitting to God— offering ourselves completely and wholeheartedly to God. Again, it's not that he's going to come in and overpower and, you know, kind of put his hand on your back like a a, a puppet. He doesn't do that. But there's this, boy, there's, it's just hard for people to yield. So that might have gone through your mind at the beginning. I'm proud of you that on this platform with zero water up here, and a not so buff pastor who's asking you to do it, you then yielded, and you went back. And, and I did catch you. Right? Yeah, you did. I followed through with what I said. Okay? You can be assured that God will follow through on what He says. If we yield and surrender and submit to Him, He will baptize and fill. Thanks, Austin. Let's give Him a hand. So we repent. We're clean and forgiven of sins. Then we desire and, and seek after God. We ask. We believe. We yield. There's only one more step or principle left, biblically, that we're going to look at this morning. The final one-word principle is speak. We speak. Acts chapter 2, verse 4 says this. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to what? Speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Again, God through the power of the Holy Spirit will equip and enable you, but you must do the speaking. A few verses later, as the people who were around heard this, verse 11, it says this. We hear them speaking... In our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. There were people from all over the regions and countries and nationalities around who heard these people who were baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in other languages, speaking in other tongues, and some of those were the languages of the surrounding individuals. And they heard people speaking out in these languages that they didn't know. Again, Speaking in other languages, speaking in other tongues, it is that initial physical evidence. It demonstrates in a tangible way that that first indication that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. But God's, He's not going to overpower you. He's not going to force you. He's not going to pin you down to the ground and, and put His knee in your back and twist your arm until you say, Uncle, and force you to speak as we come and as we yield and as we surrender, eventually, we've then got to speak the words that the Lord gives. We sense the Holy Spirit's presence and then begin to speak out in faith. And it's faith. Because we've not learned, we don't know what necessarily this language that God is baptizing or filling us is, but we've got to then speak that out. Words, phrases, syllables. It's, it's difficult to try to put into words and describe, but for little ones, if, if you're raising little ones to learn and grow and understand an English language, you don't teach 25-syllable-long words, 100-word paragraphs to a little toddler. I mean, they might end up saying Dada or mama. They, they, they say some syllables. They say a, a couple of words. They're not stringing together full, complete sentences with subject and verb and adverbs and participles. And, and so sometimes what we feel is when we're, we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, that the challenge is speaking out what God gives when sometimes it doesn't sound like what someone who has been baptized in the Holy Spirit who has, you know, God has helped and grown and developed that language, prayer and communicating to the Lord, they pray in that or speak in that, and maybe it sounds pretty fluent. Maybe it sounds as if they know a number of words or a number of sentences. We're, we're not sure what that is, but boy, it sounds more than what I sense or feel. That's where the faith part comes, that we speak out what it is that God gives. Trust God to do His part. He'll equip and empower and give the words and give the utterance. But then we do our part to speak. God uses our lips, our vocal cords. He's not going to force you. That's why, in a sense, it follows the yielding. We're yielding to God and then speaking out what He gives. A beautiful language that we don't know, speaking in other tongues, speaking in other languages. Is it an automatic process? No. But it's a a simple one and a biblical one to follow. Repent. Make sure you're right with God. Desire. Really seek after growing and knowing Him. Ask. Come to Him and ask for the gift. Believe. Know and trust. He desires to fill and to baptize you. Yield. Submit. Submit. Surrender to Him, and then speak. Speak out in faith as He baptizes you in the Holy Spirit.